live. We're never live. And we're broadcasting. We're never broadcast. We're podcasting. Yes. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. I'm Dave. I'm Chris. We are in Manhattan. We've been in Manhattan for the past two episodes. My dad just jumped in and wants to talk about Game of Thrones and... He'll come in later. Maybe he'll come in later in this episode. Mosey on in. He'll probably... He really didn't want to go. Your dad's amazing. I love your dad. He says... He says and then Dave's just brutal to him. What do you mean? <laughs> so, he's talking about... His dad's talking about, like, how to make Dopey great. And Dave, That's not Dave's like said. Dave's like, you know how you make Dopey great? You call the people that you're supposed to call at the proper time. Intimating that he needs to get the hell out of the I kitchen. Said, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we have we have probably, possibly our most renowned guest in this episode. Can you say that about everybody? Well, I mean, honestly, let's compare fame for a second. Who do you think is our most famous guest to date? I know Modi. who it isn't. It isn't Modi. Modi. <laughs> okay, so we have famous people. We'll start at the lowest famous. Would be Joe Shrank. I think Modi is less famous than Joe. Okay, Shrank. Modi, Joe Shrank. Um, O'Connor, what's his name? Noah Levine. Noah Levine, O'Connor. What's his I don't name? Know. What's his full name? Danny Boy. Danny Boy O'Connor. I don't think Danny Boy is is. Uh, I think Danny Boy had a number one single in the world. Yeah. So I don't think. He's... But he was like number three in the crew, right? Yeah, so I guess there's so. There's a little demerit for that. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and then uh, who else has been on? Uh, Bob Forrest. About twice. Who's more famous, Danny Boy O'Connor or Bob Forrest? That's a good question. I would say maybe, um, I think Bob Forrest is more visible. At this point. Danny Boy's pretty popular. He's still like Sweden selling out. I mean, it, it, House of Pain is more popular than Bob, than Bob Forrest. Forrest, but Bob Forrest is more popular than Danny Boy O'Connor. Does that make right. sense? And, and Dr. Drew is obviously, Dr. Drew in Celebrity Rehab is probably on par with House of Pain. Maybe. Yeah, maybe more. You never know. How's it old? Yeah, very old. And, um... Eastside Crackhead, where does he fall? <laughs> he falls, like, right above my friend Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy. Jeremy. Um, who else? Has who there else been anyone else on? Has there been anybody I feel like else there's on? been other people we're forgetting. Oh, Lilo Brancato Jr. Lilo Brancato Jr. He's, he's... He's pretty legit. Ten years ago, he was popping. Bronxdale, dude. It's like, Bronxdale's like a fucking classic. How about, I, how I where love Lee, that movie. Where does Leland Sklar fit in? Oh, my God. He didn't even cut it for dopey. <laughs> Don't say that. It's not... He just didn't have the dopey guts. Yeah, it, it turns it, out he had it, never it, done drugs or alcohol. So you're setting this all up for our future yes. guests that we're calling right now? This, this guest not only is possibly the most famous... Dopey guest that we'll ever have. Hmm. He's definitely a drug addict. He's a bad fucking <laughs> drug addict. We were just reading his Wikipedia that he was on this, I think, Bam Margera, whatever the fuck his name is. Margera. Margera's uh, radio serious show. radio show and tried to sleep with a couple prostitutes on the show. He did something? have sex with the prostitutes on the show. Brandon, if you're listening to <clears> this <throat> before you, we start talking about Dave and I are just notorious slackers, scrubs. We don't get anything done, so we apologize that we don't. Well, yeah, know we've a gotten lot about ninety-one you. episodes of a podcast done. We've we've inspired at least so we've podcasts. talked for ninety-one hours, and it's basically just recording our phone conversations. Well, what about all the hours we spend looking at our downloads, <laughs> or all the hours I spend relentlessly cutting it and mastering it, or driving? The driving, <laughs> driving hours are serious. <laughs> the hours. Driving hours are a lot. Um, 
But I just want to say... I don't even... In my drives, I'm like, I'm going to call these people I need to talk to. I'm going to call my sponsee. I'm going to call my sponsor. I'm going to call and catch up. I'm going to call my family. And instead, I just listen to the same stupid songs. You just listen to Little Yachty and whatever that... Nipsey Nipsey Russell fucking shit. (laughs) My God. Check me out. It's horrible. But, um... No, I listen to Space Indian It's so funny. You put down Leland Sklar. I want you to, like... On the ride out there, I'm going to bust out just some Leland Sklar stuff. Right. Um, now, I gotta drive you home, don't I? Yeah, I do I still it. have to do that? Yeah, that's my favorite part of the night. We should record an episode in the car. I'm down. It's like an outtake. I'm down. Um, I was. Oh yeah, I wanted to say something before we we call Brandon Novak. Last episode we had Dan from uh, Released into Captivity. Turn the on. fucking volume off on your laptop. Okay. Um, from Released into Captivity on. Yeah. And um, he was awesome. Yeah. And uh, one thing we didn't say. Um, is what a cool, like, community we've helped influence in the world. Like, with Released into Captivity, Church and Other Drugs, that weird tripping podcast that never came out. Yeah. Not to mention the animated uh, podcast that's coming soon, The Nod Squad in Northern California with Uncle Albert, whatever his name is, Brian. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think, you know, the dope... Also, I just want to mention this. We got an email, like... I bet it's like three weeks ago now from this woman in California who like wrote us a page about how like she kind of liked Dopey, but then at the end she was like, I hate the Dopey Nation. She's like, I hate that you refer to it as the Dopey Nation. She's like, you guys aren't that popular or something like that. Well, listen, the Dopey Nation. Although we did get the email about this same exact time from a woman in Vietnam who said she went into a bar and was drinking in a bar and they were playing... Dopey at the bar. So, That's fucking great. That made my day. Not to mention that the email we read Dopey last in the episode jungle. was um, was uh, from Australia, where we have this huge Australian stronghold. We just, you know, we've sold like 25 shirts, maybe. maybe have we? No. No, we sold like seven shirts, maybe. <laughs> Somewhere between seven and 25 shirts. But the last shirt we sold, but we to sold France. to France. Yeah. So if you're in Australia and you want to be rocking that Dopey t-shirt or a hoodie which i really would like yeah dave's uh, grooming his uh final his first submission for the uh, theme song challenge because he wants to be entered into the contest to win free merchandise i really want the hoodie you have a, i don't even have a shirt well that's your problem mm-hmm. um i want to say though that the uh dopey podcast theme song challenge is still underway if you are maybe like sting is listening to dopey Sting of the police. You know who Sting is? He's the lead singer. A Desert of the Rose? Huh? A Desert Rose? What is that? That's his song. A Desert Rose. That's the Sting <laughs> song that you know? Yeah. Okay. Or Fields of Gold? Sing it. Fields of Gold. That's not how it goes. <laughs> Name three police songs. Desert Rose. That's not a police song. Oh, police songs. Um, something. Oh God, I know police. I know police songs. And the um, fact that you don't have access to one. One of them. It's like Roxanne. Yes. Roxanne. That's one. Um, Message in a bottle. That's two. Boom boom. And Nightbird. What's that? That's one of their like deep cut tracks. Not Nightbird. Is yeah, that night, true? Nightbird. How does it go? It goes Nightbird. Is that really a police song? Yes. Are you being honest? 
No. Which records? <laughs> Where'd you come up with Nightbird? Because there's this guy, Banky Banks, I like, who has this song called Nightbird 2000 that we always make So fun. you can only That's think of two <laughs> songs by the police, and the first Sting song you think of is Desert Rose? Where did you hear of Desert Rose? I to listen to Desert Rose when I was drinking lots of cough syrup when I was 13 and going on Arrowhead. I loved Fields of Gold and Desert Rose. <laughs> Those were your joints. And Jane's Addiction. I love Jane's Addiction. Name three Jane's Addiction songs. Jane Says. That's one. That's all I got. <laughs> all right, let's call Brandon Novak. All right. Brandon Novak from Jackass and from Mother Viva La Bam and this and that. Here we go. Put it on speakerphone. I'm doing it. And hold it right. Okay. Dave's so bad at holding the phone. No, you're holding it the wrong... The butt needs to go right here, and the microphone is here. Okay. And turn the volume up so we can hear it. Yes, mother. Hello? Yo, Brandon. How are you? Where are you? You in a coffee coffee bar? Uh, I'm actually... I was actually at a uh, after-funeral dinner. Oh, man, now I feel like Sorry an asshole. Hey, Brandon, it's Chris. Well, you are a fucking asshole. Take that. <laughs> I've been called worse. How are you, yeah, man? right? If that's the worst I'm called, dude, I just hit the fucking lotto. Yeah, man. Fuck, man. I don't know if I can do this podcast anymore. I feel kind <laughs> yeah, of sad. Just, just cash it in now. I feel shamed. So who? So you, you told me last night that someone in your home group had died. What, what was the story? <laughs> yeah, a fellow, man, a really good fellow. One of these guys that, like... Uh, Really funny dude, man, like a Jersey City, like short, pudgy Italian with one of those fucking Kango hats and the Oakley sunglasses, very gaudy to say the least. But he'd walk into the room and he would like leave an impression if he was only there for like two seconds. And, uh, you know, he put a year together, doing really good in my home group in South Philly called The Kitchen Table. Right and then he left for a couple of days and he came back and he put six months together and literally three days before it happened him and I and my sponsor were over in Kensington <gasps> cleaning up like parks and stuff and, and two days later you know the fella passed he, he, he used? yeah he used in the recovery house and they found him and ironically enough the that morning uh, I'm with his sponsee now and he was taking his sponsee through step work Oh, yeah, yeah. No shit. Oh was it God. fentanyl? It was heroin, you know what I mean? I don't know. I'm sure that it had a little bit of that in it. You wouldn't believe the uh, the amount, because we, we, you know, we have a pretty small podcast, but we get so many emails just about Kensington. Yeah. So many people in Kensington write us and send us voicemails. It sounds like it's a, a troubled, troubled fucking place. Dude, I'm telling you, Kensington's one of those places where when you go, you're really fortunate if you make it back out. It's just, it has this thing about it that swallows you up whole. I get so many calls from so many families like, can you find my son? Can you find my daughter? And it's like, once you get in there, you're in the belly of the beast, man. And not a lot of people make it out. Well, and it's so also, there's this like sick draw to that whole hustle too. That's all part of the addiction. It's almost kind of like, it's tragic and sort of fun and exciting. Yeah, I don't want to say fun, yeah. but it's just, you know, ripping and running, you it's know, it's adventurous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I used to be ill, I'd be ill as a research monkey. And as soon as I would get 10, 20, 100 bucks, I would be on the train or in the car down there, and I'm already, like, not ill anymore. And yeah. I haven't even gotten around the way yet. I haven't even gotten my shit. But just knowing that, like, I'm in the neighborhood, I see the boys on different corners, 
just such a it's such a mental fuck. Because you know you'll be well. It's like when I used to get the call that the dude was like yeah. twenty minutes away. You're like chilling. You're like yeah. your, your sickness is suspended for a second for for the for that bit. You know, it's, it's dude. When I, I used to wait for those calls, and, and for that reason, I would not take my suboxone. Because I'm like, if I take this suboxone and I get that phone call, all hell's breaking loose. You know? <laughs> no shit. No shit. Yeah. yeah. I would like stay ill for days because I'm waiting for that call. Dude, Dave used to have a channel on his uh, closed circuit television that had a camera that would look outside his front door. And so he would just watch that channel for literally hours on end waiting for the dope man to come. Oh, yeah. I would stare at the TV at yeah. downstairs and I'd be like, is that KK? I think that's KK. No, that's not KK. That's an old woman. And where's KK? Dude, I, Dave, I admire you for having that. Like, that fucking camera would have been long paused in my world. Oh, you know dude. I mean? I, I, it's the project. It's it's the Jewish projects in Chelsea where they okay. installed these cameras so old Jewish women knew who were coming in. It wasn't designed for junkies waiting for KK. I promise you that. <laughs> that wasn't the thoughts when they had this in, uh, in, 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 in the making. No, mm-hmm. definitely not. It was security. And, like, it was, like, at the, the height of the technical advancement in Jewish public housing in Manhattan where they were like, all right, ladies, if you want to see who's coming, turn on channel 99. And I was like, all right, 99. That's where the shit is going down. Isn't it funny how our perspectives are so completely different than the quote-unquote norm? <laughs> totally, totally. You see safety, I see my dope man pulling up. Yeah, yeah. opportunity. I, my favorite is that it's a bunch of old Jewish ladies watching it and then Dave the junkie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you get in where you fit in. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, Brandon, I have to tell you, we were just talking, and we've had a few high-profile guests on Dopey, but I think you're the highest-profile one. How does that feel? Wow. I mean, if, if you're trying to get in my pants, you don't even have to say all that because I'm really fucking easy, man. <laughs> well, know? dude, we so were... Like, ju- I'll, I'll blow you just off telling me hello. <laughs> well, dude, we were just Googling your name and the first thing that showed up when you type it in is Brandon Novak net worth. And it says you're worth 200 grand. Hey, 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 So, hey, I, hey. Mean, I mean, <laughs> come on, man. We've gone quite that, a bender. You know, I, I wish that were the kid. Well, now things are different. But that that's old. That's from like fucking on my height of shooting dope so like I don't know where that money was at or who came up with that number yeah, if I had it it would have went right in my arm <laughs> totally you know? how did you uh, you're from you're from uh, Baltimore why are you in uh, Pennsylvania are you from Baltimore are you gone he's gone we've lost him I was like, I thought I asked the most, the most <laughs> offensive question. I don't mention Baltimore. Chris looked at me like, you're such an idiot. Yo. What the fuck are you hanging up on me for? I, I thought I offended you by saying you were from Baltimore. <laughs> no, no, when you, I, we cut off, but when you like, some about that, my net worth, I'm like, that was far from the truth, but the reality is I got a lot of pussy off of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Dude, I'm sure being on TV didn't, didn't hurt. Yeah, you know, I'm like a fucking junkie through and through, but I'm hanging with like a lot of millionaires and broads like go on the internet and look me up. I'm like, ah, oh, this guy's got a promising career. Little do they know, I'm just trying to bait him back to Bam's house, which isn't even my house, to like fuck them and then get in their purse and steal their ATM cards and their cash and, you know, inevitably <laughs> destroy their life. 
What a classic. You are a classic junkie scumbag hustler. And ever, you are a classic. Everybody said get Brandon Novak on the show. He's the best dopey guest considering the subject matter and you know you're living up to that already. Dude, <laughs> me, the, thing, the thing is though is I don't want to get it twisted. Like that was the denim before and like this the so the, the the person that I'm talking about now is like about then is like completely different than a person I am now. Of course, of course. Of things of course. That I to the show is to like because I don't really want to glorify the fucked up shit that I did, but it, it is entertaining. You know, my next two books are solely, you know, I have, a, I have the first ever addiction graphic novel coming out and it will pertain to all these kind of stories. So there is an element of fascination, but like, you know, I think uh, anyone that looks into me can see that psychic transformation is taking place. Of course. You know? And I, when I called you a horrible junkie scumbag hustler, I say that only with praise and oh, reverence. Trust me, I, I, I get where it's coming from and that's like a badge of honor. Right I on. It, but tell me, I, this is, I'm very piqued, the, 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 the addiction graphic novel, what's it going to be called? The Chronicles of Brandon Novak. Sweet. Are you going to be like, like a, a crow looking type hero? Like a, uh, I, I see uh, yeah, we have this we have this uh, artist out of Germany who's like unreal and uh, yeah and it's just all the fucked up stories positions places and situations that I found myself in continuously year after year day after day month after month solely from drugs and alcohol so well, I, I read I, I, I one of my buddies who loves our show this guy um, Andrew was telling me he read Dream Seller and he uh-huh. loved it um, I'm gonna read it because I'm I'm interested. I want to I want to read it. Uh, you have another book coming out too. It's the graphic. Yeah, book. well, the, the, they books. just re-released yeah. Dream Seller, uh, which was the first one. They just re-released that two months ago, and the one they re-released uh, there's a new cover, two bonus chapters, and a new ending, as well as a new epilogue, uh, which is a pretty big deal in that world to re-release a book because it did so well and. Blah blah blah, and and the reality is the the first dream so it ended on a question mark of like did he or did he not get clean, stay clean? Did he go back to shooting dope? And and yes, I went back to shooting dope. But this new ending brings it to the here and now, but still leaves it vague enough for the next two books that will be coming out. Have you started writing them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both uh, probably about seventy percent done. That's awesome. You know, and then we're actually in hopes to have another one. So it's going to be a trilogy set, but then in hope we have enough for a fourth one as well. And then they want to do movies, right? Yeah, yeah. So, well, the first mo- the book, Dream Seller, was, uh, was bought. The rights were bought by a fellow by the name of Ted Fields. I know um, who that is. He, he was Jimmy Iovine's partner in uh, Interscope. Exactly. He bought the rights to it. Uh, we had a great script. Then they wanted to, like, Hollywoodize it. Yeah. Um, and they brought these Hollywood writers in, and the first script that they wrote was pretty good, still workable. And then it went downhill from there. And, and the straw that broke the camel's back is when they said they wanted to film it in L.A. and Hollywood. And I'm like, you can't recreate Baltimore in L.A. or Hollywood. So and why would you want to? Right. <laughs> yeah, like fuck right off, man. Yeah, yeah. And like, was Bam gonna play you? Is that the truth? Yeah, he was gonna play me. Absolutely. How do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, he's my best friend in the world, and, like, he, you know, it's funny. He can literally know what I know. He thinks what I think, and he says what I says. But it's really, you know, I hear, like, kindred spirit talk, and I think half his bullshit. But, like, you know, he can be wherever he is right now, and, and we kind of have a weird premonition of what's going on with each other. Hmm. So I was very comfortable with him doing it. But then he got a phone call from Jared Leto. 
Jared Leto, you know, obviously played uh, uh, the heroin addict in Requiem for a Dream. Yep. Yeah. And, and and Jared's like, damn, like you're going down a fucking shaky road right here if you play this character because I'm not going to get into it, but I guess some things happened that during the filming of that movie that kind of you know did whatever to Jared and he was you know he was very uh, nervous you know to see his friend Bam jump into such a deep role that's a really heavy character in a lot of different aspects of the word heavy. You know what I hated about Requiem for a Dream, Brandon? What's that? When he would shoot dope, his pupils would get big. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Yeah, I, I don't get it either. I think that's that whole fucking Europe weird thing, which but they, I love Europe. They love. could have just made his pupils constrict with the same sound effect, and it would have worked, and it wouldn't have been like, what the fuck? I, it just, I hated that shit. It was like, well, you know? Yeah, the, the, the part that fucked me was that ass-to-mouth scene with the broad. Oh, yeah. Um, like, that kind of no, fucked that was ass-to-ass, man. It was ass-to-ass. Ass ass. Yeah, whatever it was. I'm thinking of a different porn <laughs> that I jerk off to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, I want to ask you this, too. Um, do you have a day job, or do you make all your money from all this good stuff? No, I, uh... I have a lot of things going on. So I have these books that are coming out. I have this graphic novel that are coming out. I also have a documentary that's going to go to the Sundance and the Cannes Film Festival. It's titled Where's My Needle? Um, but then on top of that, what I do is I work for a treatment center called Banyan Treatment Center, and I'm a national business developer. If you ask me what that is, I have no fucking clue. <laughs> um, like I tripped and fell into like this, this big gig with a yearly salary and insurance and benefits and all this and business cards, um, and, and I travel the nation, and I kind of tell my story as a cautionary tale to colleges, rallies, high schools, things of that nature, and, uh, you know, and we have a facility in Chicago, Boston, Pompano Beach, Florida, and soon to be in Pennsylvania, so I'm kind of helping build this treatment center in Pennsylvania. Awesome. That's what that's what me and Chris want to do. Yeah. We're looking to go on tour with Dopey. Maybe you can hook us up. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, these things find me. Trust yeah. me. When I was when I got clean and sober this time, I went to a treatment center for ninety days, a state ran joint because I didn't have any insurance. What, what was it called? And, uh, Today Incorporated. Okay. It was a pyramid joint in uh, Pennsylvania. But then from there, I went to a sober living house for one year, and uh, I got a job uh, washing dishes. And then from washing dishes, then I got a job waiting tables. And I did that job for like nine months. And then this shit that I do now literally fell out, like found me. Like I wouldn't even know how to tell someone. People ask me all the time, like, how can I do what you do? And I'm like, dude, I have no idea. These hmm. these things, they came and literally found me. I've only been waiting tables for nine years. <laughs> waiting for something, <laughs> waiting for something to find me. I, I, my whole dope student career, I waited tables because like it was cash on hand. I could eat for free. I could get a shower in, in in the bathroom, and then I would always meet a broad that waited tables with me. And I would say, "My house is under reconstruction. Do you mind if I stay with you?" And then I have fucking her, and then I steal her money, and then I take her car, and then mm. she takes a warrant out on me, and I end up in jail. <laughs> is this a repetitive cycle? It's a love nice. story. <laughs> um, Absolutely, Brandon. Why don't we do this? I was thinking you got tell if you have a little story like a funny story you could tell us about your using days and then tell us what happened how you got clean this time sorry see I was thinking about that because I know you guys kind of do like the funny I read up a little bit about you guys and like the funny story so (laughs) true to come to mind uh fuck I totally had them and then they just blacked out true to come to mind so one time that proves like I like to be dope I used to like to um 
one of them, right, so I used to have this fiance, and I never had a woman like me. I never had a woman that got high. It was like, I couldn't handle myself, so I knew two of me would go to hell in a handbasket. So I always kept a woman that, like, didn't do drugs and, like, paid bills and all the stuff that I know nothing about. Um, so, but she would always know when I was getting high because I wouldn't fuck, right? Mm. Like, I just wanted no part of pussy when I'm shooting dope. Yeah. So one day I go down the way, and I'm copping some dope, and I'm in an all-black neighborhood in the projects, and I see this dude walk by with this box, and in the box are, like, boxes of dildos. So I'm like, this is perfect. I'm going to buy a dildo. I'll cop my dope. I'll get home. I'll shoot my dope. I'll give her the dildo. She'll fuck herself with it. She burns it one stone. No harm, no foul. Right? So I get home. Not really thinking about it. I give her the dildo. I don't know These aren't happens. used dildos, right? They're new? No, nah, they were brand new in the box. Yeah. <laughs> Who buys used dildos, man? It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I get home, and, and I don't know what happens that night. But, like, a week or two later, we happen to be fucking. And, and while I'm fucking her, she's like, hey, do you want me to get that dildo? I'm like, yeah, sure. Just thinking she wanted to, like, <laughs> play with herself. Here we go. Me. And she comes out of the bedroom with a humongous, big, black, strap-on dildo. And it looks, so if you think about it, it looks like I had intentionally went and bought this strap-on dildo for her to fuck me with it. They and call that pegging. <laughs> she thought yeah. you wanted her to peg you. I know about this stuff. Do something. That's classic. I so, love this. so like that, like really fucking backfired on me in a major way. Well, what'd you do? Did was you your ass was your ass sore <laughs> after the fucking? Nah, nah, because like I wasn't. I mean, you know, I still had a roof over my head, so I wasn't like gonna fuck. You just need to add some benzos and booze, and then you get down, dude. <laughs> so then, and then this other time, right? I'm coming off of like loads of Xanax, uh, like a lot of them. And I'm feeding this imaginary pig that's following me around my house. Um, Did you say imaginary I'm a, pig? Yeah, imaginary pig. Okay. I keep feeding this pig. Uh, I think that I'm on the prices right. Uh, I convince my brother to take me to the circus, and I start undressing in the circus with all these little kids around me. Like, I'm really losing my fucking mind. Wait, you're actually at the circus, but there is not really a pig. There's no pig. No. No pig at all. Uh, but I'm leaving food trails for this pig that I believe is there. But wait, are you really at the circus, though? Yeah, yeah. So this is the house. I'm feeding this imaginary pig. And then the circus comes to Baltimore, and I convince my brother. And my brother's like a big-time attorney in Washington, D.C. They can't let me out of their sight because, like, I'm really delusional. I'm losing my mind. So I convince them that going to the circus would be great. And they take me to the circus. And I'm sitting in front of them, and I'm st- I got these headphones in, and I'm listening to music, and I start fucking taking my clothes off in the circus, man. Uh, I don't know why or what happened. But anyways, I go home that night, and like I said, they can't leave me out of their sight because, like, I'm subject to do anything. Um, so my mother has to lock me in the room with her. Like, someone has to be with me 24-7. So I'm sleeping in a bed with my mother, and I, like, come to in the middle of the night, and I just feel... Like next to me, and I feel a woman, and I don't, I'm so out of my mind, I don't realize it's my mother. Oh my God. And I like totally go in on it, trying to fucking sort it out. Um, and the next thing I remember is her saying, Brandon, what are you doing? I am your mother. And she jumps up and runs out of the bedroom and locks me in the bedroom. Wow. That's fucked up, man. I never heard anything yeah. like that. That's fucked up. Yeah, that's the deal, man. So what happened then? <laughs> then they took me. Uh, they took me to the emergency room. Like two hours later, and hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, hold on. Wait. 
y- your mother leaves the room, right? Mm-hmm. You're in the yeah. bed alone. Are you mm-hmm. hard? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm so out of my mind. Right. I don't know what's going on. Like, right. I literally have no conceptual idea of reality. And your mom like, calls, I, the, calls the ambulance. Well, she goes and gets my brother. He lives a house down. They were taking shifts and watching me. And next thing I know, the door swings open and I'm loaded into a car and they drive me to the hospital, which in turn, they do a spinal tap on me. Wow. To try mm. to figure out what the fuck's going on with me. Mm. I was like out of my mind. No shit. Hmm. And was that well, was that the, was that the beginning of the path towards uh, sobriety or not? No, quite? not at all. No. Uh, <laughs> then I used to live with this gay dude. And I used to like I was still like not ready to sell. I hadn't yet sold my ass for money, which I did later on down the line. But I wasn't at that point yet. Hmm. So he would pay me twenty dollars to shave my asshole every day, like every once a week. But he would pay you so he could watch you shave your asshole? No, he would shave my asshole. So oh. he got to do the shaving. So that's... Yeah. Yeah. So that was like a good deal for yeah, me. That's not a bad deal. I mean, it's no. a good, you get a clean asshole and you get a little bit of money. Yeah, and I get some dough. That's like a fucking trifecta win. Yeah, it's no ass to ass. No. Uh, I know, yeah. But then he, ended, he inevitably ended up uh, having me arrested because I fucking stole his TV and his radio and I pawned it to the pawn shop directly next door to our house with my ID. Dude, this graphic novel is going to be fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so those are just like a few. I could go on for hours about this shit. All right, so what happened, man? How'd you get sober? Yeah, what, what, what stopped the great parade? So I, I got to the point at the end where I could no longer live with a drink or without a drink. Mm. Like, you know, I, I had shot heroin for 21 years. I did pills, weed, alcohol, coke for like 24 or 25. Um, you know, in and out of 13 inpatient treatment centers, lost count of detoxes, outpatients. My mother had bought me a plot. People had taken life insurance policies out on me, and uh, I was on life support for seven days. So... A lot of series of events had taken place, but at the end of this time, uh, I was back in my mother's house in Baltimore. Uh, Bam and those guys left the country. They went to Finland. I go back to my mother's house. They went to Australia. I go back to my mother's house, and I'm shooting dope, dope, like 180 bucks worth of dope a day. But I got to the point where, like, no matter how much dope I shot, it did not give me that delusional concept that like life was okay right. you know what I mean like like I just knew that I was fucked and I was horrible at suicide because I kept waking up yeah. so uh, in theory and on paper I was a really successful individual but in reality at 35 after being a fucking a professional skateboarder at 15 traveling the world with Tony Hawk first skateboarder ever to be endorsed by Gatorade um, uh, in these movies that break box office records a New York Times best selling author who's written a book on addiction at 35, I'm living in my mother's house, and my worldly possessions consist of eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, and a stick of deodorant. Hmm. And I'm like, dude, I worked really hard to get out of here. If I stay here, like, it, it, this is not going to work well. And I heard them say, man, when I would go to meetings, like, it's really hard to shoot a bag of dope when it's cut with N.A. Yeah. It's really hard to drink a glass of wine when it's cut with AA because it's fully self-induced, meaning I, me, myself, Brandon Novak, had created this picture that I now live in. Because what I would do is I would let my mentality create the reality for which I lived in. Um, and then I go to treatment and they tell me, like, change your perception, change your world. Um, and I have been to this specific treatment center that I went to again the last time, four previous times out of my 13 treatment center stays. And the last four previous times, I would sit in the same intake chair with the same intake woman. And she'd say, all right, Mr. Novak, your insurance will cover 90 days. 
and I would say, in theory, 90 days sounds great, but in reality, I'm more of like a 45-day kind of fella because <laughs> I have this woman to see, this state to go to, this job to fulfill, and she's laughing at me every time. She says, sweetheart, you have no idea. Anything and everything that you put in front of your recovery does not or will not matter because you will lose it. And I said, I guess you didn't fucking read my resume. Like, I, I can make things happen. Uh, and little did I know, like, that was the farthest thing from the truth. But this last time when I went in, when she gave me the same spiel of the 90 days, like, when she gave me an offer, I couldn't even come back with a counter offer because, like, drugs and alcohol demoralized me in just such a fashion that if I said no, that entailed an explanation. And all I could do was shake my head yes. Yeah. And, and in reality, what I did, like, because I would come into treatment centers and I would outthink myself out of rehabs out of meetings out of sobriety and this time i like literally dumb my way into it um you know and it just it just it, it, and i had did everything in the world except work those steps because i'm like dude how, you know i had written this book right dream seller it was a new york times seller and i'm getting hundreds of thousands of pieces of mail from all over the world of people saying no like i read your story i didn't want my to get as bad as yours i have 30 days of people saying, hey, I read your story. I understand why my father picks the needle over coming to pick me up on the weekends. It's not because I'm a bad son. It's because he has a disease of addiction. My delusional mindset, I just wrote the big book Alcoholics Anonymous or the basic <laughs> text of Narcotics Anonymous. And I believed it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, dude, I, I'm not going to come in here and do these fucking 12 steps. Like, I don't need that. But yeah. this time, like, I had literally tried everything in the world. I would come around and I would, like, loiter with the intent to recover. But this time when I came around, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it, man. I'm so low. The curb looks like a skyscraper. Let me just give this a shot. Yeah. And like, and oddly enough, that obsession was lifted. And and, uh, and you took steps. Yeah. yeah like it's you a program steps. of action, yeah. not intentions. Yeah. It's not, the, the book is not, it's not self-help book. You know, it's a no. fucking workbook. Yeah. You do it's, what it's it says. It's designed to fucking to better my life if yeah. I follow the path. Yeah. But really what I realized I was doing is I was trying to fix an internal dilemma with an external solution. Totally. So like if the house was big enough, if the woman was pretty enough, if the bank account was high enough and the car was new enough and you told me these things and validated what I thought, then I had to be doing good. Well, it, those know? things will relieve the bondage of self for a minute to five minutes to maybe a day, you know, but then it all comes crashing back. Yeah, because basically what I in turn become is a junkie with a big house, a yeah. junkie with a pretty girl, a yeah. junkie with a big bank account. You know, like, yeah. that's the, but the reality is, is for me, my process has to be my processes, and, and it took what it took until it took. Exactly. You know, they say, Brandon, that the people statistically who kill themselves the most, who commit suicide, not accidentally overdose, are people who have deep pockets and unlimited resources. Because they, yeah. they get everything. They, that's the great dream of every addict. Because like they I, don't have a way out. And they finally get, you know, they can do whatever they want. And they finally realize the supreme fallacy that, like, there is no amount of drugs and alcohol that will fill that void inside you. Absolutely. And then when I come in the program, they said, look, boy, Alcoholics Anonymous is the most dangerous spectator sport in the world. And right. I'm like, fuck. And, 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 you know, this thing's a pandemic. It's not an epidemic. You know, like one in seven people are affected. And, and, and you know, statistically speaking, like, I am to be uh, high or dead right now, right? Statistic, factual evidence dictates, statistically speaking, uh, I should be high or dead. But the fact that I'm not, and I'm sitting here talking to you with over two years sober, it's it's miraculous equaling, equaling a miracle, A, and B, it defies logic. Well, the three of us are all incredibly fortunate to not be high or yeah. dead in this moment. Yeah. 
And yeah, um, it's like I said, you but, know. but do you, I wonder? It's like because we all get to. I mean, the three of us have gotten to a place where we managed to take steps and to get clean. But I wonder, like, do you? Why do you think it was? It was a miracle. It was. It was that moment. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's a million cliches on top yeah. of itself. But it's just you catch that beam of light that you can you can actually do it and it's such an amazing thing when you can actually do it yeah i mean no one was counting on me or betting on me to get sober including myself Mm. you know what i mean like like i said i was on life support for seven days my mother bought me a plot people taking policies out on me like i was not a good bet to get sober they used to have to actually there's a celebrity death pool on the internet and i was like on it for years and every year I didn't die, I would get so much hate mail. <laughs> and like, why the fuck are you still alive? And then Bam's like, dude, you're like the Baltimore City cockroach, man. You don't fucking die. You're like Keith, the Keith Richards of, of skateboarding jackass guys. Yeah, I guess, man. I um, guess. Let me ask you this. Uh, you know how we got a hold of you, right? No. You put your number on Instagram. Yes, yes. So how many phone calls did you get from that? I get lots, man, but like, I feel that I, I went through what I went through to be who I am today. And if people didn't, I was that, that case, I was that alcoholic that was deemed unhelpable or unfixable. Bar none, hands down. Um, my mother at the end of my run, she went to God, she had exhausted all opportunities, options and resources. And, and she literally had sold four homes and financially paid out of pocket for me to go to treatment center four times. And they're not cheap by any means. Depleted several savings accounts. To at the end, when I told you I was living at her house at 35, she went to the church across the street. And Father Mike said, Miss Pat, how's Brandon? And she said, Father Mike, he's never been worse. And she said, I went to God with one simple prayer. And Father Mike said, oh, yeah, what's that, Miss Pat? She said, Father Mike, I went to God and I said, God, please cure him, kill him, or kill me because I can't take it anymore. And Father Mike screamed at my mother and he said, how dare you? Don't you? ever go to God and tell him what to do with one of his children because little do you know he has a plan for Brandon and you and I don't know what it is and uh, and clearly that was the case so like people always answered my fucking call people would take me to meetings when I was high I would overdose in the bathroom meetings they would have to call the ambulance to fucking pull me out and hit me with Narcan in the bathroom of meetings they never said no and like if somebody might have said no odds are I wouldn't be here talking to you today so, like, how dare I fucking be granted this gift from my higher power, which is truly a gift because, like, I'm at a dinner right now after a funeral that, like, God didn't grant my dead buddy this gift. But, like, I've been granted this gift. So now it's time for me to honor this gift and not only when it's convenient to me. Yeah. So, like, how dare I not give my number out because I was that guy, you know? So, like, that's my deal. That's what like, right I, there. Put, put in your number on Instagram like that. That's... That's working like that's a 12 step right there, you know, and, um, you know, it's helping the next person. And that's kind of what we try to do with dopey is like, we're trying to, you know, this wasn't our intention in the beginning. In the beginning, it was like, just tell drug stories, no recovery. And then like we started to get emails and we realized we were hitting a demographic that other sort of recovery shows weren't, you know, we're listening to people listening who were on their way to cop and shit. And it's like, fuck, we could actually do maybe some good stuff here, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's like I say, when I want to make my God laugh, I tell him how my day is going to go. So, like, <laughs> I, you know, I just continue to put one foot in the front of the other and, and, and do the best with what I have when I can do it. 
Mm. And I always, you know, I stay grounded, man. And the, the most freeing thing that I've learned in my sobriety is that I know that I don't know. Because it's a really hard job to know everything in the world. <laughs> yeah. It's a very tiring job, and I've had that job for a long time. Yeah. So, so when, when we asked you to do the show, you were like, you were doing something else. It was like a joke that you picked up the phone when we called you. And you were doing something else. And then when I called you last night, you were like, yeah, I saw Bob Forrest was on your show. So I thought, like, I could do it. You, you checked this out a little bit? Yeah, I did. Right on. Absolutely. I do my due diligence. You know what I mean? That's one of the things that I have the, the privilege to do today. Because my time is not consumed by the getting using. Well, Brandon, we've been a little polarizing in the treatment community. Bob's down with what we do because some people say, you know, it's a drug log, it's war stories. We do temper it with recovery, and that's why we said tell a story and tell how you got sober. Because I know for me, when I stopped, I fucking, you know, I came in the rooms, somebody had to shoot dope. If they shot dope and they were getting high, I didn't really listen to them. They had to shoot coke, and they had to be a major alcoholic. If they didn't hit all those things and talk about that in some way, when I first got in, I couldn't even listen to them, you know? And it's like I had to hear the craziness. I had to hear the dopey before I could even open my ears and be willing to hear the message. Absolutely, and that's why I have the ability to do what I do today because, like, people know my story. It's in movies. It's in books. It's in tabloids. Like there's substance. It's on the internet. You look it up, you see my deal. There's substance there. It's tangible. And it's a bit different than a 50-year-old professor reading out of a textbook, giving a bunch of theories or hypotheses of what may or may not happen if you pick up. You know, and that's the ability that I have to get through to a lot of people where a lot of other people don't. Totally, totally. And no, I agree with that. And uh, Brandon, I'm, I'm in school. I'm like uh, training to become a psychologist. And I sit there, yeah, I sit there, and it's like, and the reason I'm doing that is because I think there needs to be these higher level clinicians that have that personal experience. Because the first thing people do, or like their parents, is they send their kid to a doctor, and there's so many of these like high educated Ivy Tower syndrome people, they just don't fucking get it. And then these people going in their office and spending an hour doing therapy, and it's like they're not doing any good, you know, not at all. You know, I mean, I, I agree with you to an extent, but I, I'll be honest with you. I used to have that same that same mentality, but after multiple attempts at treatment centers and years of using, I came across one counselor, and he was the best counselor I ever had. And, and I, little did I know, he wasn't even one of us. So I think if you know there's I mean? passion and experience, those yes. things can can. I think it's passion and experience being working for a long time and being able to build a therapeutic bond. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally agree because he's really passionate. Yeah, and like he cared. He was no, the, the, he was sympathetic. The first guy that really helped me was a psych. I was always gobbled tons of psychedelics, and he was a psychiatrist. He wasn't an addict, and he just knew a shitload about these weird research chemicals I was taking, and I was willing to listen to him because he knew a lot about it. And then he was like an amazing dude and he was helpful. So I, I do agree with you too, you know? Well, you know, it's funny. The reason why I did so bad for so many years at psychiatrist's office, treatment centers, detoxes, the reason why I did so bad is because it wasn't my fucking idea. <laughs> if it was my idea to go to these places, I would have excelled at a rapid pace. Yeah. But it wasn't your call. Kind of, you were forced yeah. into a courts, family, it whatever. Plan. So I'm the kind of guy, if you tell me what I need to do, I tell you why you need to fuck off. Yep. Um, a lot of different components, but yeah, like I said, and like I was beaten into a state of reasonableness. Well, of it course. sounds good to me, and it sounds like uh, your life is fucking amazing. Are you still? I always say, I always say, man, sobriety has given me everything: drugs and alcohol, bombs. 
Yeah, I, I find I that, that like, I like that line. What, say it again. Sobriety is giving me everything drugs and alcohol promised me. Yeah, it's the promises. Ninth step yeah, promises, the, bro. The, the, yeah, the ten step promises. Yeah. That's the deal. Yeah. yeah, I have way more fun in my life than I. I mean, I used to live for using, obviously, and I have so much more fun now, and my life makes so much more sense now, and there's so much more cool potential. I mean, I was never on your level of like fame and notoriety, but I had some opportunities that I shot dope through and fucked up too. So I know what you're talking about. I mean, it's crazy because, like, I suffer from a disease. You know, check this out. It's really, it's really funny. Like, uh, factual evidence dictates it, that I suffer from a disease. I'm diagnosed as an addict or an alcoholic. That disease left untreated is fatal, meaning that I will die. No question. But it's the only fatal disease that tells me that I don't have a disease. So if I'm diagnosed with HIV, I'm rushed to the hospital to get medication because I don't want to die of fatal disease. If you diagnose me with cancer, I'm rushing to the hospital to get chemo because I don't want to die of fatal disease. But you diagnose me as an addict or an alcoholic, I need a glass of wine or a bag of heroin to figure out what the fuck's wrong with diagnosing me with such a disease. And it's just as fatal as the other two. You know what I mean? So it's the only disease that tells me I don't have a disease. And left to my own devices, meaning without you people, the program, my higher power, I'll put this whole fucking bitch into a cooker. I've seen me do it. Yeah. Right. No doubt. Are you still in touch with the jackass guys? Are they still in your life? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Steve Lowe's doing great. I was just out in L.A. with him. I went to a meeting. He's got nine years sober. He's like, does the deal. Nice. Uh, Bam's in North Carolina right now doing some editing. Yeah, another guy that I just see in passing, but everyone's really busy doing their own things. I was telling, I work at this restaurant with a bunch of Dominican guys, and I was telling this guy that you were coming on the show today, and he was like, he was like, I don't know the deal with those guys. I mean, they're so gay. I watch Jackass, and the guy, he has one of those strongman contests, and they put a dildo on the other side where the ball usually goes, and they shoot the dildo up into the guy's ass. It's like, why are they so gay? Gay <laughs> uh, humor's the best, dude. One of my favorite tattoos is, you know, the, the, the saying that rollerbladers are just gay homos? I have a tattoo on my arm of two, two rollerbladers, but so two dudes fucking, you know, it's quote unquote gay, doggy style, but two dudes fucking missionary style with eye contact, fully padded with rollerblades on. I have that tattoo on my arm and that's like a whole other level of gay. <laughs> and the one dude that's fucking the other dude, the one dude who's fucking the other one, the one who's getting fucked, his dick is rock hard too and they're in this flower patch, fully padded with the rollerblades on and a helmet. <laughs> hey, can you send us a picture of that for our Instagram when we release this? Absolutely. Nice. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. So hey, what I'd like to do with this, you know, one of my biggest things, man, is helping that man or woman that's deemed unhelpable or unfixable. So, like, anybody listening that needs help, man, like, I'm readily available and willing to help uh, help you. So you can reach me personally at 610-635-9092. Say it again. 610-635-9092. That's fucking awesome, dude. That gave me chills. That's awesome, man. Thank you, man. I yeah. appreciate that. I think it's the rollerblading tattoo that gave you the chills. <laughs> yeah, let's not beat around the bush here. Yeah. Dude, you're the man, Brandon. It was so nice of you to uh, come on the show. Maybe yeah, you can come up you, with, with, with some more stories and come on again yeah, in, in six months. weeks. Yeah, I weeks. Have tons of them, man. This is just like, a, you know, we've been trying to do this for a minute now, but finally we were able to do this. But I have tons of stories. 
Thanks, right. man. Hey, it means a lot, Brandon. And, and it's very, very, very inspiring what you do, and it's awesome that you could use what you had to do the, the next right thing for yourself and for all of us. It's a fucking yeah, great man, deal. That's the, that's the deal. It's a blessing, man. If you guys could, could you text me the link to this show when you have it up? Of yeah, course. it's going to be a couple weeks, though. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Right on, cool. man. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate you having me on. We loved having you. Thank you. Yeah, man. Pleasure's been mine. Thank all right, you. Bud. All right. Later. Wow! Fucking great. He he lived up to the hype. It's so hot in it's here. So, I'm fucking. I got I got old man belly sweat. Look at this shit, dude. It's so. <laughs> hot. I'm like fading out from the heat. And you're like, are you okay? Yeah, I, I actually gave while Brandon was talking. I pointed at Dave and I did the okay sign because he's not looking good. It's just hot. I was losing it. <laughs> yeah. And also, like I never. Brandon was amazing, dude. He, he's very. You can tell he's a program guy. He's smart. He's still fucking clicking upstairs. He's an intelligent man, you know. Oh yeah, he's he, singing the program stuff. The program funny. That the reason, I'm too bad we didn't ask him about what he thinks about you know Matt and other sort of things. You know what's that? Oh, medication. Like yeah, treatment and other stuff. No, you know? we can talk we can, about it another time. Yeah. But this was a great primer. And the thing that I, the reason I called him a classic junkie hustler scumbag is because I, I haven't talked about this guy too much but there was a guy I used to use with on the Lower East Side named Guy yeah and he had that same voice but that voice on pills liquor yeah, it's like the pills of, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah you know so he's got the sober he does he has it still a little bit but it's he's great. like he's like at that like Perma dope voice. Yeah, yeah, but it's like it's a great accent and it's a classic junkie hustler scumbag voice. Totally. And he also calls women broads, which is just killer. I call women broads. No, you don't. I really do. No, you don't. <laughs> I swear to God, oh, I do. Oh my god. When just, to yourself? Well, because I have one friend that calls women's broads. Okay, I'd like to close out with Christina's voicemail because it kind of fits actually with this. Is that cool? Are we still? What are we doing? No. Sure. No, you don't look. You look upset. No, sure. I think that's a good. Sure. Well, you had something to say. Say it. Listen, I think we should play Christina's voicemail. I think um, we should play Christina's voicemail. It's good because he was talking so much about like running with a girl. He said, you know. Oh, and now we're gonna get the woman side. Yeah. Um, hand me the the crackers, so I can put my phone on the crackers while we play this. This is about thirteen minutes. Are you gonna be able to make it? We'll yeah. close out the episode. All right, guys. This is from uh, Christina, south of the equator. She tells a story about um, getting high with somebody in treatment. And um, it's a cautionary tale. Hey, Dave and Chris. So I have one more story for you guys. And this is a story about a topic that I'm not sure if you've touched on that much. Um, it's about treatment romances and the toxicity that comes with meeting someone while you're in treatment or in my case, in detox. And the story starts in December of 2012, which was the first time that I got professional help for my addiction. It was the first time I went to, or the first time I went to detox. And um, it was a dual diagnosis psych hospital detox. And I, and you didn't have to have a dual diagnosis to be there. In my case, I was just there for the detox, but we definitely had some interesting characters that were there for a dual diagnosis issue. So this was about four days into my stay there. Um, and I am just miserable. Uh, it was so painful. It was probably the hardest detox of my life. 
Um, and it was the first time that I got completely clean off heroin after four and a half years of daily use. Um, so it was just so painful. And on the fourth day, we ended up getting a new patient on our unit, which was always exciting. And this guy rolled in on a stretcher. Um, I soon found out that his name was Sam. And he rolled in on a stretcher. He was handcuffed to the stretcher. He uh, was escorted in by police and two paramedics. And I remember he was wearing just a beanie and a a hospital gown. And he had his guitar over his lap. And... So the police uncuffed Sam, and he went to the nurse's station to do his intake. And normally when people arrive on a detox unit or um, to a hospital for for that purpose, um, they're really reserved, they're really quiet. Um, But Sam, it was clear that he knew the drill. It was clear that he had been in this sort of situation before. Um, He was joking around with with the nurses and he had this kind of smooth confidence about him and I was instantly attracted to him. Um, (laughs) he, he was also from Philly and he had this witty, sarcastic sense of humor, um, that, that just came out right away. And, uh, I instantly found him attractive. So, um, Since Sam was so open about uh, who he was and where he had been, I soon found out that he was being involuntarily committed after multiple suicide attempts. And the suicide attempts started after um, his girlfriend had passed away on his lap um, after they or after they. relapse together. So Sam was a heroin addict. His girlfriend was a heroin addict. They had never used together. Uh, they decided to relapse together and she overdosed, um, while he was lying next to her, um, asleep and he woke up with her dead on his lap. So after hearing why he was there and why he had these suicide attempts and what happened with his girlfriend, Um, I decided to keep my distance from Sam because I knew he needed to process what had happened. Um, he needed to heal. He needed to, um, just deal with all of the trauma that, that had happened to him. And I watched, um, as other girls in this detox, like swooned over him and, and, um, we're flirting with him. And I just found that so pathetic, um, after knowing, you know, why he was there. And, and so I kept my distance from him because I didn't want him to think I was flirting with him. I didn't think that he needed, uh, a woman in his life at that, at that time, or even like girl that's a friend. Um, I think I thought that he just needed time to process, uh, on his own. So I, I just didn't want him to think I was flirting with him. So I, uh, kept my distance from him. And, um, so my nights, I ended up staying at that detox for, for eight nights and my nights there were always the same. Um, I couldn't sleep. Uh, I would just be up in the hallway reading. 
and um, and Sam also had insomnia and uh, couldn't sleep while he was there. So I'd be up in the hallway reading, and I would hear Sam in the day room playing his guitar and playing those typical recovery <laughs> or addiction songs. Um, and I remember one night, uh, and I'm still just so attracted to him. There's this weird energy. Sam just gave off these intense vibes, this intense energy that just made you want to be around him, made you want to listen to him, made you want to talk to him. Um, so he's in the day room one night playing his guitar and singing, and I'm kind of listening to him, kind of reading my book in the hallway. And Nurse Ratchet is working and ends up kicking him out of the day room uh, because he was being too loud or whatever. And um, so he comes out into the hallway and he sits down across from me and we're the only two people in the hallway. And we end up talking for like half the night. We end up talking for hours. And um, at one point he stops and he looks at me and he says... Uh, I don't want to freak you out at all, um, but you remind me of my girlfriend that died. He's like, but not in a bad way um, or in a creepy way at all, uh, in a comforting way. And he's like, and, and it, it's nice to talk to you. So I just like I don't I don't know why that was so amazing to me, but I'm just loving this guy, and. Um, so he ends up asking me what I'm reading and I show him the book that I'm reading and he asked me if I have any other books. And so I go into my room and I grab, uh, my Harry Potter book that I had with me and I give it to him. And, uh, the next day was my discharge date and I was just dreading, um, going back to, to my parents' house. Um, cause they had just found out that their daughter was a heroin addict, um, when I went to detox that first time, they, they had no idea until then. And so I'm dreading going home. Um, and I'm about to walk out the door and Sam comes running after me and he's like, you don't, you can't forget this. And he hands me the Harry Potter book and he gives me a hug, a quick hug. Cause it was prohibited to touch people. And, um, so I, I take the book and I go and I get into my mom's car and my sister's in the back. And so they had just found out eight days prior that, I was an addict and it was the most, it was such an uncomfortable, um, car ride. And and I was just so like, just, I felt dead inside. I felt so alone. I was so defeated and I have this Harry Potter book in my hand as I'm driving home and I open up the cover of the book and there's a note inside and it says, Christina, I barely know you, but I can tell that you're one of the good ones. Too many of us have died. Please don't be another one. Sam. There was no contact information. There was no last name. It was a simple note. It wasn't profound by any means. But that note meant the world to me in that moment when I felt so alone and so hopeless. And... I ended up keeping that note in my wallet for the next year. So uh, just as a reminder of, of how far a small act of kindness can go. And so fast forward a year, 
and for me, several detoxes and treatment centers and inpatient IOP, all of that, a couple Oxford houses. Um, and I'm living in an Oxford house and I'm about to go to a meeting with my sponsor and with this other guy. And we're actually talking about like war stories in the car on the way there. And, um, the, the kid that was in the car with me and my sponsor had actually been in the same detox as me the year, a year prior, um, in this dual diagnosis detox. And, um, he tells me a story. He says one of the worst stories that he's heard was about a guy that was in detox with him a year ago, um, whose girlfriend died on his lap when they relapsed together for the first time. And I turned to him and I was like, was his name Sam by any chance? And he said, yeah, yeah, his name was Sam. And, uh, turns out he, he had been, or he was in the detox at the same time, um, as me, but just like a week later. So he knew Sam. It also turns out that, um, he had, he knew Sam's last name. They were actually kind of close. He told me that, um, he was not sober. Sam was not sober or clean. He was using as far as he knew. Um, and he was living in this really shady neighborhood in Seattle. And, uh, but he gave me Sam's contact information and I ended up finding him on Facebook and I sent him a message and it was really, <clears throat> it was really brief. It just said, um, I don't know if you remember me. Uh, you wrote me a note that you put in my Harry Potter book when we were in detox together a year ago. And, um, I just wanted to say thank you. I actually still have that note in my wallet. It meant the world to me at the time. So, so thanks. And I reached out to him knowing that he was not clean and I was really miserable with my recovery at the time. Um, I was just not happy at all with where my life was going and I did not like the Oxford house that I was living in. It was just, it was miserable. And, uh, he got back to me and he asked me if I wanted to get coffee. And so we ended up going out to coffee together and he told me, um, what was going on in his life and that he was living in basically a motel in this really shady neighborhood. And, uh, he was not clean <clears throat> and I was intrigued because I didn't want to be clean. So, um, I couldn't relapse on heroin because I was getting the Vivitrol shot. So it, heroin wouldn't work. Um, I just wouldn't feel it. So I ended up going, um, to Sam's house. Well, not his house. He lived in a motel, like one of the most disgusting motels I've ever been in. Um, so he lived in this motel and I ended up going there one night. Uh, and I couldn't relapse with heroin. He had meth with him. Um, and he asked me if I wanted to shoot up meth <clears throat> and I had never done that before. I had smoked meth a couple times, but it, it wasn't my thing. I, I wasn't really into it. And, um, so I told him, sure, I would try shooting meth <laughs> and he, um, he got the shot ready. And also this is how fucked up I was. I was sober when I made this decision too. Sam had hep C 
I knew that he had hep C and I, I think I just didn't care. I was at that point where like, I wasn't going to kill myself. Um, but I was so unhappy with where my life was going and, and where I was living and everything that, um, I wanted to die, but I wasn't going to kill myself. So I just didn't care about my body. I didn't care about what happened to me. And he told me that I knew that he had hep C and, um, and we only had one needle and I didn't care at all. So we ended up cleaning the needle with bleach. Um, and, uh, supposedly that's supposed to work well. And now years later, I've had a lot of, um, hep C tests and they're all negative. So the bleach really does work, but it was pretty sketchy at the time. Um, we ended up sharing a needle and he, um, shot, I I can't remember if he shot me up or if I did, but I think he shot me up with meth in this disgusting motel that just was full of other people that were using and holy shit the first time I did meth was or the first time I shot up meth was a life-changing experience uh it like all the insecurities that I felt and just how disgusting I felt with like being with this person in, in this really nasty, um, like environment and setting just all went away. And, um, I, it was just a crazy, crazy feeling and feeling it in your throat and getting that cough. And, and it, it was insane. It felt so good. Um, so we were there, uh, for hours and I probably did another shot and, um, and then the next morning I went back to my Oxford house, uh, clean and sober house and, um, acted like nothing happened. And then, uh, I think I came back like a week later to, um, to get high again with him. Uh, and it, it was also just miserable the next day, like the following day after, um, getting high because, um, I didn't have anything to come down with. I didn't have heroin. I didn't, I couldn't do benzos. Um, there was nothing to come down with. And, and I had never experienced just using amphetamines without any sort of downer. And it was miserable, uh, the come down. And, uh, it's even more miserable when you're doing it in a clean and sober house. So I think over the course of like the next month or two, uh, I ended up relapsing a couple more times with him on meth and then shit started getting really bad. He, um, uh, Sam ended up (laughs) getting into really, really bad psychosis from, from the meth that he was using. Um, I think it was easier for him to find, uh, meth than it was heroin or maybe it was cheaper. And so he started using meth more than, more than heroin. And, um, he, uh, got into psychosis and, um, I ended up wanting to distance myself from him. Um, I 
decided that I wasn't going to relapse with him anymore and that I was going to try to stay clean. And he was not happy with that at all. He felt like um, if he had to be miserable and at that time he ended up losing the, the motel room that he was staying in, he couldn't afford it. So he, he ended up becoming homeless and he was on the streets. Uh, and he decided that if he had to, um, uh, be on the streets and, and have nothing, then I should have nothing as well. I should be on the streets as well with him. And, um, he made it a mission of his to get me kicked out of my Oxford house. And, um, he started stalking me and he started, um, harassing me. And, uh, it turned out to just be a fucking nightmare and, um, ending with a restraining order and ending with him, um, going to jail actually. Uh, for breaking the restraining order and, um, for like death threats and for harassment. And, um, it was just fucking terrible. Um, and it just goes to show how fucked up treatment romances can be and meeting people when they don't, um, meeting people when, they should be focusing on themselves and, and working on themselves. And it's just so messy once, once you start to get involved with with someone like that. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of a depressing ending to the story, but, um, you can play it. You can not play it. Love you guys. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Christina. That was fucking killer. Christina, I love that voicemail and the only reason I said we I shouldn't play I love Christina Christina we sh- fucking rocks you love everybody what do you mean I love everybody you I love like everybody. everybody I love Christina okay alright Tina teens Christina teens you're one of the good ones Yella <laughs> um but the thing Yella I don't know I was feeling I was feeling like NWA-ish for a second you said I was thinking old Yella no you ever watch old Yeller? No. Take these crackers away. Okay, I will. <laughs> the thing, first of all, Chris was remarking about how uh, when you do a voicemail, it's so clear. It's always clear. It sounds like she's recording in a studio. Where is she, El Salvador? In a studio. We're not supposed to say. Well, some South place, of the equator. She's in some Central it's not American El, it's not El Salvador. vocal booth. You know, recording. I think she's just doing it on her phone, ripping. But, the thing but there that, were chickens in one episode. Remember there was chickens? Yeah, I do remember that. That was the first one. The thing that I love about that call was, uh, and it's, you know, it's part and parcel to what we do, which is every scenario she described, I could see, and I've kind of been in, you know, I've been in so many, like, weird treatment romances, and, and just like that, the people, most of the people involved in Dopey, in our core audience know what it's like to be insomniac in treatment. Or, What's the first or, thing you do when you get in? You, you kick and then you're like, you need a here? drug. You're like, where's the girl? You know what I mean? Who's the thing that's going to make me feel better? And it's like attention from another. But sitting out of your room with a book with those fluorescent lights in the hallway, I can feel the hallway on my oh, fingertips, yeah. you know, or walking around or like... I was the dude playing the fucking addiction songs in the hallway on my guitar, and the nurse ratchet would tell me to stop playing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. every every guy with a guitar plays like the same. 
Who knows? What, you what, know who I was? I was in the end though. I was like the weird aloof guy who didn't talk to anybody and smoke cigarettes, and everybody would be like, "Who's that guy, Chris?" You were a treasure. You were a treasure, Chris. Chris was aloof, but he was not total aloof because, like, you'd be like, "I'm aloof." And then you'd be like, I'm lonely. I think I'm going to talk to you for three hours. And then you were like, I'm done talking to you now. I'll see you in a few days. And then you'd go be aloof. And then I'd see him, and he'd be like in the cafeteria, and he'd be like, I started mixing Fruit Loops with Cheerios. You know, like this big bull sitting by himself with a stupid smile. I'm like, uh, hello, Dave. I haven't seen you in a few days. I'm like, where the fuck have you been? Just meditating in my closet. <laughs> but um, but that story, just like, I loved it. It was also like, this is a good broad in recovery. You're, it was great a great broad, yeah. It was a great call to go from Brandon Novak, which was a killer fucking call, yeah. to this super clear, uh, super relatable story about uh, relationships and addiction relationships and treatment yeah. the fucking horrible thing of doing meth in a sober house without benzos yeah Ugh. but uh Christina we love to hear from you it's awesome yes I want to hear what, what what addiction tunes the dude was playing was he playing like Jane Says in Hotel California or am I just an I old generation he was generation? playing Desert Rose he wasn't playing he was like and we walked in fields of gold <laughs> and we lived in my you know Desert Rose is about heroin is it? no you don't know anything. <laughs> what do you think? Okay, here. You've been around treatment a lot, right? Yeah. More than Brandon Novak. I was yeah, surprised you didn't I tell counted it. Yeah. You wanted to jump on him, And right? he's got so many years, dude. I got them all in like between 18, or no, between 20 and 27. What? 15. What are, you t- what are these numbers? Rehabs. I know. What? Do you, what's 20 and 27? 20 years old and 27. Actually, no, I went to my 15th when I was 29. 20 years old and 27 what? In seven years, I went to 15 treatments. I'm saying... The Between 20 and 27. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Okay. 14 treatments. Why are you punching 20. your belly? <laughs> I don't know. But um, what would you guess? Because this is the thing. My belly's the, fucking huge. Look what at would you here. guess? I try to get rid of it, but it won't go away. What would you guess uh, the songs some guitar player that were addiction songs would play in treatment when Christina was in treatment? King Heroin. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> they should. That song is fucking great. Yeah, but a guitar player's not going to play that. Yeah. Um, I would think they would play... I don't even know. I don't even know what... I don't. You, you just say, what's a song someone Siri, what are the top five addiction songs? No, don't... You, stop fucking around, dude. What? You're just... You're making a... The top charts for addiction music. You're making a mess. I'm making a mess. Ladies and gentlemen... Yeah. So this is the end of Dopey's. Dopey Nation. This is James Brown. This is Dave. I want to talk to you about one of our most deadly killers in the country today. I had a dream the other night and I was sitting in my living room. Stoves off to sleep, so I started dreaming. I dreamed I walked in a place and... I saw a real strange, weird object standing up talking to the people. And I found out it was hell. That deadly drug that go in your vein. He said, I came to this country without a passport. Ever since then, I've been hunted and sought. Passport doesn't run My little salt. white grains are nothing but waste. He pulls it off. Soft and deadly. Right, and bitter to taste. I'm going to fade it up. It's really, really deep. Power. 
So you don't want to comment on what these addiction songs might be. What does he say at the end? He's like, it will kill you to death. <laughs> it will kill you to death. <laughs> Do you think James Brown did dope? He's, I mean, to make a song King Heroin, you have to have some experience, I think. I don't know. I think the black community was just oh, uh, flooded. <laughs> hey, Alan. Say hello to the Dopey Nation. Oh, hi, everybody. Okay, hello. say, Dad, say, stay strong, Dopey Nation. We're sending this one, but you're, my dad is going to come in the next He's one. He's coming in the next one. Oh, stay strong, so Dopey Nation. There you go. Are we wrapping it up? Yes. All right, toodles. Drop us a review, like us on Facebook, all that stuff. But actually... And call Brandon Novak. Yeah, call Brandon Novak. Tell him, tell him Dopey sent you. Yeah. But actually... Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes oh, yeah, so subscribe. that we can be the number one recovery podcast because Jesus told me we would be the number one recovery podcast, not that sober guy and not our beloved friend Omar at Share. So, so vote Dopey this year. Okay. All right. Toodles. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had and my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind When I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I want to be good so bad want to be good so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had these suckers make me mad and I want to call my dad and it's all I ever had 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 and these suckers make me mad and it's all I ever had and I want to call my dad and it's all I ever had and it's all I ever had and it's all I ever had